0: It shouldn't take you long to find the passage for our scripture being the last page of your Bible. And please have that in front of you. It was an occasion at the Keswick Convention and uh, I just preached. And a young man came rushing out to the front to have a word with me and I, I was eager to find out. He looked so keen to speak to me. I could see he'd got something on his mind and he said, I'm so glad you've done a great thing for me tonight. I've won a bet. I said, pardon? Oh, he said, it was an evangelical bet, no money involved, of course. But I've won a bet tonight. I bet, my friend, who I brought for the first time, that you would mention both the England cricket team and Sheffield Wednesday in the course of your talk. And before you've been five minutes, you mentioned them both. So I've, done a, I've won my bet. One of the nice things about having these two rather strands to your whatever it is, bow is that when one's not doing well, sometimes the other comes to your fore. And when I'm feeling very depressed about the England cricket team, and wondering how on earth I shall welcome the associate vicar from Australia when he comes this week. maybe <laughs> may be difficult. I'll do my best. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday start surprisingly winning. That's one of the uh, unusual joys. And since it's a season of goodwill, I will congratulate Sheffield United on beating Arsenal. I'm always glad that anybody beats Arsenal, so particularly well played, uh, the Blades. But I mentioned Sheffield Wednesday, not because it's sort of, I always do, but because there's a phrase, (laughs) a phrase at the end of the book of Revelation that you'll be surprised will link in, there are now three generations of the hacking family that sit and watch uh, the owls. And uh, the first time I think my grandson went, he was delighted with two things. He, he discovered, first of all, that it was quite legitimate to shout. After all, his grandfather of age shouted his head off, so why couldn't he? And suddenly he discovered, you can legitimately shout. And then he came across a phrase I hadn't realised. The only thing I've said at a football match is, Come on, come on. And for some time after that, whenever he saw me, he said, come on. He thought that was the limit of my conversation, (laughs) which it more or less is. And strangely, here's my link in. I've wakened you up. Here's my link in. Come on is what the end of the Bible says. How many times that word comes and who's asking whom to come? You have a problem. There are two great statements, I am coming soon, there in verse 7, there in verse 12. That's straight enough, that's Jesus talking about his coming. But look at verse 17. Who's addressing whom? The Spirit and the Bride say, come. To whom? Well, the first reading may well be to Jesus, because that seems obvious, and yet, you see, at the end of that verse, it talks about the thirsty coming, the one coming to get the water of life so you could argue that in the rather remarkable verses at the end of the Bible full of excitement we are saying come on come on and as we end one year and start a new one please I do hope you don't get too excited about starting 2007 and if you must have uh, uh, fireworks will you please stop at a reasonably early hour for those of us who can't take it you know you, you will won't you. I must confess, I was hoping the gale force winds might blow the fireworks away, but there we are. Uh, But if you are going to do it, sort of uh, do it quietly. No, nothing... Can you do fireworks quietly? Nothing will will happen just because we've moved from one year to the next. My wife and I had ten years ministry in Scotland, so we know all about the celebration for the new year. Uh, I complained to my Scottish friends that they, they kept a pagan festival. And my good Scottish friend said, the only difference between us Scots and you English is that we keep a pagan festival in a pagan way, you keep a Christian festival in a pagan way. So perhaps we are better than you are. So there you are, you can ponder that truth. But however you start a new year, come on, come Lord Jesus. Now where does this fit? If you've been coming to the little morning series I've done from Isaiah, and it's been a great privilege to have a, a little run in the pulpit as it were. I've been doing those words from Isaiah, the great promises that Christ would come. Emmanuel, son of David, king and a man. And we're not finished, you see. Did you notice in this passage in verse 16? I am the root and the offspring of David in the bright morning star. Here's the fulfillment of all that Isaiah saw. Remember, he only saw one coming. He didn't know then that there were going to be two comings. God would come into the world. Emmanuel, Messiah, Son of David. And one little passage we didn't really get time to do in our trip through the Isaiah and the coming of Jesus is the promise that makes that is fulfilled here. Chapter 11 of Isaiah, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. And that promise is all the more significant Because it comes just after the end of chapter 10 of Isaiah, which is all to do with the fall of Assyria. The Lord Almighty will lop off the boughs with great power. The lofty trees will be felled. The tall ones will be brought low. He will cut down the forest thickets with an axe. That's Assyria. It's interesting, and not without significance, that Saddam Hussein saw himself as the new Assyrian king. He would restore Nineveh. He would bring again Babylon. But you see, there is no shoot from the stump of Assyria. That dies and never again. And whatever your views and what's happening in the Iraq at the moment, we recognize the justice and the sovereignty of God in many ways. There's no way back for that kind of kingdom. But you see, from the other. They're the root and offspring of David. There will he will one day come and then he'll be manifestly king, God with us, and the whole world will know it. That's why I can look forward to 2007 with some confidence. Now, there are two themes that run through these verses. One is the authority of the word of God. That stands out supreme. And the second is the supremacy of God's work of grace. And those two themes are the themes I just want to spend a few minutes on as we end 2006. The final authority of God's word and the final act of God's work. The final authority of God's word. Do you know, what I think was one of the most remarkable statements of Jesus, he on one occasion said in Mark 13, listen to these words, don't just let them sort of get to you and and make you quite astounded. He said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. What man in his right mind will say, words that I've said will be here when the universe is gone? Come on. If that man is not the Son of God, that is audacity or madness. But he said it. And let me also tell you, some years ago, long before we had all the problems in our land with Islamic terrorists and so on, I met a student g- girl who'd been a, a Muslim, who'd been converted, and I was speaking on the authority of Scripture. And she came to me at the end and she said, I'm so grateful for what you said today, because you see, I was a Muslim, and I believed in the sanctity of the Koran. I believed every word of the Koran. Now I've become a Christian. The Bible's much more important to me. And yet I go around places and I hear preachers who deny the word of God. Who say it doesn't really mean what it's supposed to mean. I can't understand it. As a Muslim I believed every word and now the Bible. I'm so glad you believe every word. I said I do indeed. It would be a tragedy. If in these days, when there is a kind of fundamentalism that is causing havoc, the kind of Christian fundamentalism that believes the word of God somehow paled. Now what do these verses say about that word? First, it's a word to be trusted. That's verse 6 and verses 8 and 9. Just note verse 6. These words are trustworthy and true. That's straight, isn't it? You've got the same in chapter 21, verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Write down, these words are trustworthy and true. And they're trustworthy and true because they come from God. It's said in verse 6, The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel. When you read the book of the Revelation, a wonderful book, you find there are different agents that bring the word, but they all come supreme from God, and therefore they are trustworthy and true. Well, let's be clear. All the real things of Christmas of which we've rejoiced, the truths of the Incarnation, the wonder of the Word made flesh, is only known by us because of Scripture. If I can't trust Scripture, well, Christmas isn't anything. I have nothing to go on. And how do I know that he is going to return and that the future of the world is in chance? Because the Bible says so. Take away the authority of Scripture I'm left with no hope. Just confused views. These words are trustworthy and true. And because John has a, a sense of awe, he wants to worship it. It happens several times in this book and he's told not to, to worship the angel. But notice in verse 9, I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and of all who keep the words of this book. That is, our fellowship is with those who keep the words of this book. If you read anything about what's happening in the denomination of which I belong, the Church of England, you will know we've reached some rather crucial days. In a few days' time, the Archbishop of Canterbury will take with him a covenant signed by uh, a lot of people you would know including the former vicar of this place who signed it and it, it goes with an authority that's not me, That's Hugh Palmer who signed it uh, that, that ex that vicar uh, and uh, it's gone with the, with, with the authority of many evangelicals to point out how seriously we view the situation at the moment and that a decision has to be made in the next few months as to what we do with an Episcopal church in the United States where the presiding bishop lady makes it quite quite clear. She approves of same-sex marriages and questioned in a, in a periodical I've just been reading, asked did she believe that Christ was the unique way to God. The answer was a, a, an emphatic no. And out from their service of communion, confession of sin has been taken out. Because that's an outmoded concept. And Mike, Michael uh, nasset the Bishop of Rochester who signed that uh, covenant which has gone to the Archbishop, points out very clearly, we now have two churches in the same communion. One that takes authority from Scripture, the other which takes its authority from the culture of our day and makes Scripture fit where necessary. Ultimately, they can't live together. They are two different churches. And Christian fellowship is with those who keep the Word of God, a word to be trusted. So for your prayers, do pray. The battle's on. And these words are trustworthy and true, a word to be trusted. Secondly, it's a word to be obeyed, verse 7, verse 18 and 19. You see verse 7, I'm coming soon, says Jesus. Now how do we respond to that truth? Get excited? Start working out times and seasons or oh, no? Blessed are is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. There are seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. This is number six. Number seven comes in a moment. And the sixth beatitude said, happy are those who keep the words of the prophecy in this book. That is, in the light of our Lord's return, what do we do? Get back to the Bible, be true to Scripture, live by it, for these words are to be obeyed. For those who remember my ministry here, I used often to quote a verse that said you should write it in red in your Bible, Deuteronomy 29, 29. If you've not done it yet, do it. It should be there in red. Here it is. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Leave them there. That's me. That's not in Scripture. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow the words of this law. I was intrigued by the people who sometimes say to me, you know, Bicker, Philip, my problem is The bits of the Bible I don't understand. I always say, I disagree profoundly. My problem is the bits of the Bible I do understand. The bits I don't understand I can leave. But the bits I do understand disturb me. I must do something about them, a word to be obeyed. And just glance on to verse 18 and 19 and please hold it. If you think about three minutes ago I was being hard about differences in our communion, just read verses 18 and 19. What John brings out about those who add to the words of Scripture and those who take away the words of Scripture. Oh yes, I know this is the end of the book of Revelation, but it's also the end of Scripture. I think it stands there by the sovereign authority of God that is the danger of adding or subtracting. And so there are many people, of course they believe Jesus Christ in a sort of way. But they take away from his uniqueness. So no, they don't believe he is the unique way to God. When he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, they don't believe he was telling the truth. They have taken away from Scripture. And when he talked about the solemnity of judgment, they didn't, don't believe him. So they take away the meaning of Scripture. And others add, oh yes, it's nice to believe, but you need something more. Some religious ceremony. Some initiation. Something else. I think those words are amongst the most solemn words of Scripture. Do you see it? If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the Holy City. I leave those words with you. What does that say about people who disobey the Word of God? Who take away the authority? We are dealing with eternal issues. It's a word to be trusted. It's a word to be obeyed. And third, it's a word to be heard. Verse 17, we are to take that word out to those who are thirsty, that they may get the free gift of the water of life. And if the spirit of the bride saying come are saying it to the world of unbelief, and it may be, it's a lovely balance. Jesus said in John 15, at the end of John 15, The Spirit bears witness and you must bear witness. He witnesses, we witness. He works in the world. He brings people to recognize their need and we must speak out. The world's in turmoil and the Spirit is bearing witness to the truths of the reality of what God has said in Scripture and we must bear witness. So it's a word to be heard. And if, as we move on to my second point, if you believe in the authority of God's word, it will never be sufficient just for you and for me to be content to enjoy it. To obey scripture is to share the truths of it with the world of me. Our vicar is, a, and rightly so, is extremely enthusiastic about evangelism. And I hope you share with him this deep concern God's done many things for us in this church in 2006 and before. What a responsibility we have to share. The final authority of God's word and, more briefly, the final act of God's work. That's the rest of these, these verses, 10 to 16, 20 to 21. The tragedy and the triumph. Oh, the tragedy's there. Notice in verse 10, The hour has come, the time is near, it's round the corner the book of the Revelation. I think we're jumping back to the beginning of Revelation next Sunday night. Uh, And the book of the Revelation is constantly with this in mind. It it starts in chapter one. I'm coming soon. What does that mean? If he was coming soon in the year AD 90 whatever, is he still coming soon in the year AD 2007? Or had he got it wrong? It is always round the corner. It is always soon. That is in the sovereignty of God. But we live on the edge of it always. And the tragedy is to forget. The hour has come. And when the hour comes, we cease making decisions. You see, we sit in the comfort of our lives and we decide whether or not we believe in Jesus. We decide whether or not we're going to obey what we've said. We will weigh up the preacher. The day will come when he makes the decision. He decides. And have you noticed the strange verse 11? What happens then? Well, the vile and the wrongdoer will go on being vile and doing wrong. And the righteous people and the holy people will go on. That is, in heaven and in hell, we continue the way in which we have set ourselves. We've made a decision, and that has eternal significance. And again, I have to be honest. Look at verse 15. Who was outside? And if you if the writer sort of was trying to get a message across, he couldn't be clearer. Three times in these last two chapters he tells about those outside. Chapter 21, verse 8, a long list, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile. Here again, a long list, outside are. And in chapter 21, at the end of the chapter, nothing impure will ever enter it, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why is it we don't see it? Why is it that the doctrine that is in greatest disarray today is the doctrine of final judgment. Why is it that we somehow can't live with it? Well, partly because we all know that uh, by nature we're all in these lists somewhere. We don't uh, qualify for all of these terrible things. I'm not going to go through them all. But we know that that's where we should be by nature, and therefore we find it almost difficult to point out that some people will be there Forever. And that is a solemn thought. A very solemn thought. But I cannot take Scripture seriously. If I want all the joys of what lies inside, then I have to be prepared to listen to the fact that there will be those outside. If I want the truth of heaven, then I must accept the other truth, which is quite clearly there. And that's a tragedy. And because of that tragedy, just two things. One for which we may not be responsible. Those who commend a way of life that these verses say characterizes hell are, I believe, in the danger of awesome judgment. If the Bible calls it something that takes people to hell and if I commend it, then what I, how I stand before God I do not know that's for others. What about you and me? If I recognize that there are those who will be outside because they have not accepted the truth of the gospel, doesn't it give a new sense of urgency when you pass from one year end to the beginning of a new year? Sometimes when I think about saying, come Lord Jesus, a bit of me wants to say, please Lord, not just yet. See, there are people I know are not yet yours, whom I love deeply. Please, Lord, hang on a bit. No, come on this time. But you see, He's sovereign in that. My urgency should be to try to reach them. There's a tragedy, but finally, let's on the on the good note, the triumph. But you need the two together. Where is the triumph? What well, is the triumph of the people of God? Who are the ones who'll be there? Verse 14. Blessed are. Have you noticed the difference? It's not here a list of good virtues. It's those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Oh yes, that will include people who once were dogs, magic arts, sexually immoral, murderers who've been converted, who've come to acknowledge their need, who've washed their robes. Oh yes, and there'll be self-righteous people who won't be there because they thought they didn't need to wash their robes. As you come to the end of the year, can I ask you, can you say that you are one of those whose robes have been washed? You acknowledge to the Sovereign Lord who sent his Son to die on the cross for you that your only hope is in him and the grace has been operative in your life. And if it's going to be a triumph for those who belong, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it is, of course, supremely a triumph for our Lord himself. I am coming soon. Twice, he says it. My reward is with me. I am the Alpha and the Omega. And he will give the reward, not of uh, that we deserve it, but the reward of that wonderful promise that as we trust in him, as we own him as king, we shall share In that final glory. For you see, he is, verse 16, the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. I know very little about the heavens. Every now and again I look up and see the beauty of the stars, but I know very little about them. What I do know about this is that as I look to 2007, I'm moving towards the brightest star that ever there was I did speak briefly this morning to John and Jane who were here to worship and it just struck me as I, as I thought their son-in-law tragically taken away at the age of 28 a person who had come to faith in Jesus who very much believed in him sad for us glory for him but it was just a reminder for me to remind you as we look on to the next year we never know we never know. Very soon we're going to sing a line of a hymn which says, Till he returns or calls me home. Which will come first? I don't know. When you get to our advanced years, it looks that the odds are that we shall be called home before he returns. But that's like a faith because he might come tomorrow. But it is a reminder to us, I should be ready today. Whenever Jesus talked about his return, he talked about not plotting times, but actually being ready now. So I say to you on this last day of 2006, I do wish you all a very happy new year. I trust that many things that you plan to do will mature in the next year. No, I don't wish that it be a year free of Pain and problems because it's often through pain and problems that we mature in the faith. Foolish to suggest. Jane reminded me this morning of the text we talked about before. That God works for the good of those who trust in him in all things. And he can actually work through tragedy and sorrow. As well as excitement and happiness. But whatever. We look to that day. If we are sure that our robes have been washed, we look forward to that day when he returns and we say Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Just a moment of quiet. There may be some of us who need to say to the Lord, I haven't really ever accepted your grace and mercy. I want to do it now, In this last day of the year, so that I am ready. For most of us, we want to say thank you. We are ready for that day. And we want to pray that we might be more eager to reach the lost. So Lord we do want to say Amen come Lord Jesus we know that day will be the great day meantime give us grace so to live as to be ready for that day so to trust and obey your word and to take it out to others that we may have confidence to face that day and Lord in your mercy how we long that you will reach out to a lost world and bring many to put their trust in you, that their names might be written in the Lamb's book of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.